Good morning, everybody. We're calling today Into New Life, and uh, we are excited, not just today, but the months to come, just to celebrate new life. As I watched that video this week, it occurred to me that every one of you could have been on that video, from something difficult into something new, and so um, I'm excited about that. We're, today, we celebrate a literal resurrection from the dead. We celebrate spiritual life, new life, new creation, and it's out of that literal resurrection that I know is hard to imagine. It's a miracle. It's full of mystery and wonder. I wish we could have been there. But what I want you to hear today is that out of that resurrection comes these smaller resurrections like a renewed marriage or a new business or overcoming uh, the struggles after a tragedy. All of those things are possible. And the way that we're convinced that the story is true is the same way that they were convinced long ago on the first Easter Sunday. And that is by having an experience with God. So for those of you that have questions about the resurrection, let me just start by saying this. We validate the existence of God, the truth about Jesus that he died and rose again because he has a spirit that comes and draws close to us. He quickens his step. He catches up to us on the the road of life and he speaks to us. And you notice his presence. I no longer try to convince people about the merits of God. I just simply say, get quiet, start to pray like someone's listening, and see if he'll speak to you. And if you give it time, he does. And so, um, anyway, we're going to get to that. I'm going to read you a great story in a moment. If uh, you're new to Cornerstone, my name is Brian Carlucci. I'm one of the the pastors here. And I want to give a special greeting to those that are watching at home during our 10 o'clock stream. Also, the courtyard in the parking lot is full of people outside. This is so amazing to see you guys. And um, I'm making, you know, I can recognize some of you through your masks. So just wonderful to see people for the first time. And it's wonderful to, ce- wonderful to celebrate the resurrection, the renewal of all things. But I'll have to admit, this Easter is different from other ones. Last year was tough. Wasn't it hard not being together, being at home? I preached from in-car. I wanted to be with you. We couldn't. This year, we're coming off of a hard year and a hard month. A couple weeks ago, 13 days to be exact, just a half mile from here, there was a terrible tragedy at the King Supers that we're all aware of. So Easter is occurring, a message of hope, but it's happening right in the middle of our community's darkest hour. I think it's safe to say just historically that this is Boulder's most difficult moment. It's been a hard year. And then what happened two weeks ago is just, we can't even wrap our minds around it. We're still burying the dead on this Easter Sunday. And so it's okay to feel some tension. It's also okay to have an increased appetite for life, which I see beginning in many people. And so I want to read you a story that comes from Luke chapter 24. There are a lot of uh, accounts of Jesus spending time with people that first Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that also happened to be the feast of first fruits in Jewish life. They all celebrate the same thing, new life, life from the dead, life comes from God. The story I've chosen has to do with a couple who's leaving Jerusalem because they're walking the disappointing road back home to Emmaus because they've just experienced tragedy. They're confused. They're full of despair. They don't even know how to recognize Jesus anymore. Everything in their life has been turned upside down. And so um, it's very fitting because this is a couple that's having a hard time celebrating the good news 
that he's died and rose again. And so I want to read you this story, and then I want to point out three things that Jesus does as he encounters us on the roads of life. So starting in verse 13, it says this. Now, the same day, so what preceded this is the women run to the tomb. Angels give the announcement. On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I want to pause just for a second. I want to make sure you understand just how difficult this road is for this couple. Most likely, this is a young married couple who is, has had a difficult life, and we just know that. These are poor Israelites living in the ancient world. The ancient world was just a hard place to live, didn't have uh, the luxuries and privileges of the modern world, and they're living in Israel at a time that they're being occupied by a terrible army, the Roman, Roman army. 70 years before, the Roman legions came in and defeated the Jewish armies. And ever since then, there has been a legion occupying this, this small country. Oppressive taxes, violence, crucifixion was a common thing. In fact, we know that Jesus saw several crucifixions before he himself was executed that way. So these people, they've just lived a life of difficulty. And, and there was very little hope in Israel and that is probably why this couple had been in Jerusalem, because they were in Jerusalem because they were with Jesus. At some point in their life, this Jewish rabbi entered their town, and when Jesus entered their town, he, he did what Jesus would always do and what he still does today. He would care for people. He'd find the sick and the vulnerable, and he would heal, and he'd lift them up. And then he'd amaze the most brilliant minds in all of these little towns with the way he talked about the kingdom of God and God's vision for the world. And his words were liberating and his actions were full of power and they were liberating and people were caught up in it. And it's not just that they were caught up in his power and his words, they were caught up in him because they sensed something different in this person. They experienced the love of the father through Jesus. And so people are, hope is built. Now, the week before, this couple probably went with Jesus to Jerusalem, and they were probably part of what we now know as Palm Sunday, this coronation, this celebration, everyone's waving palm branches, ushering in the king, proclaiming his victory. So they're excited. All of those things that they had struggled with were about to end. But we are on the other side of the story, and we know that it has a tragic turn, and so this couple is now confused. Verse 17, he, Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. A better translation of that word is the face of despair. They don't have the blues. I don't know if you've ever seen despair on someone's face or hopelessness. It looks different. We've seen it the last two weeks. That's what they look like. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? In other words, this is a big deal. Everyone knows about this scandal of this man that said he was the Messiah that's now killed. Jesus plays dumb because he has a sense of humor. What things he asked. He said about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one that was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of them, some of the companions went to the tomb and found just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going a little further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. All right, here's what I want to point out today. When Jesus draws close, when he quickens his step and catches up to us, which is what he does, Different things change. The resurrection changes things. And so in this story, what we see is we see a confused couple, confused about God, confused about life. They get some vision and direction. We see their despair changed to hope and joy and passion. And we see people who were in the past unable to recognize Jesus now understanding exactly who he is. Okay, so I want to go through each of these. So the first is this couple. They leave confused. I give you in the language, we had hoped, we had thought that things would be different. See, when Jesus comes and he whispers to you, when you notice his presence, when you're in worship and, and you notice something, you're like, something's happening right now. It's not that something's happening, someone is drawing close. But he clears those things up. But many of us walk around very confused about God. We don't understand how our life fits into the context of God because we don't even know what he's doing. There are many people that believe that God is against them. There are many people that believe that God is uninterested in them. There are many people that believe that God exists to serve us and to make our lives comfortable. All of those are just kind of man-made images of God. So what Jesus does with this Jewish couple, is he's, he's in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he takes them through their entire Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, and he shows them that every page, every story is about him. And not only is it about him, but Jesus himself is the demonstration that there is a God who loves us. There is a God that's interested that draws close. And there is a God that's inviting us into what he's doing. And so Jesus explains this whole thing. See, this couple was caught up in this vision that God was giving, but one of the things that they had missed, and so Jesus has to point it out here, is that God was not going to save us from suffering. He was going to save us through suffering. The grave had to be occupied with his body. The wilderness of death had to be navigated through. Liberation, freedom was only going to come through death. 
And this would make sense to them because they had, would understand certain things from the scriptures in the past that said there are wages to our choices. And there's a thing called sin that enslaves us. It's like shackles around us. It's the things we do that not just rebel against God, but it's the ways we hurt ourselves and other people. From the very beginning, God had said, I will stand in place of you, stand in your place, so that you do not have to bury the burden of sin and death. And so Jesus opens their eyes and their, their life is now in context. This is exactly what God would, had said. Now, many of you don't come from a Jewish background, but I think it's very helpful to know that there is a God that loves you, a God that's interested in you, a God that's drawing close, a God that from the very beginning said, the way to life is through death, a God that says, I know the way through every grave. So what Jesus does for people, he puts our life in the context of God's big story. Here's the second change that happens here. When Jesus catches up to you on the road of life, he takes your despair and your hopelessness and your fear and your anger and he transforms it. And it doesn't mean that those things aren't a part of life, but he takes those things and he transforms it. As they tell Jesus about Jesus, because remember they don't recognize him, it says they're downcast, the face of despair. It's easy to understand why they are. The crucifixion of Jesus was the final destruction of their hopes. It was the end. They had hoped that their disappointments and their struggles in life were ending. They had hoped that their confusion about God was ending. They had hoped that evil and violence would end, and they were wrong. They had hoped that they wouldn't have to suffer again or grieve the loss of a loved one because of an unnecessary death. They had hoped that sickness would stop. They had hoped for all of those things. And then on top of all that and the hard life that they're going back to, they lost a friend. So they're dealing with their own grief and sadness. It was a tragedy at many levels for this couple, so no wonder they're full of despair. No wonder they're leaving. Why would you stay in the city? We were all wrong. And how about this feeling that, that hits close to home? They're even more hopeless because they had previously hoped. Isn't it true that sometimes it's, it's better to not hope than to have your hopes crushed? When you see that in someone, I mean, you know, it, it looks different. It sounds different. They had hoped and it was gone. Jesus comes alongside of them. He not only interprets his suffering, he interprets theirs. And when they recognize him, they say there is a way through every grave. Suffering is not wasted. There is meaning to life. There is hope for the future, and there's hope right now. As they encounter the risen Jesus, their despair is changed to passionate love for, for others, for God. For, it's transformed to joy. And just think how hopeful this couple would have lived the rest of their life. Because of this encounter with God. So despair changes. Here's the last change that occurs. I don't quite understand why they don't recognize him. I think God just set it up this way. So that we would understand the message of the bread that's here in the story. That's mentioned twice. 
So Jesus is many things to many people, and he was to this couple. They say, they said here in the passage that we thought he would be a, a powerful prophet in word and deed. He's a great teacher. He's a miracle worker. They saw Jesus that way. They had experienced Jesus as a friend and a leader, and so they had experienced him in different ways. But they were yet to experience Jesus as the Savior. But when they experience him as the Savior, their eyes are opened, and they now understand almost everything about him. Or they understand more, we could say. So you get in the passage, and they're there at dinner. They still don't recognize each other. Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it. It says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Why? Well, there's symbolic uh, meaning behind the bread, and it helps us understand what's happening here in the story. And so in the scriptures, bread is used as a symbol of life. And Jesus used bread several times to help us understand what it was that he was doing, who he is, and what he would do in the future. And so in the past, Jesus speaking of bread as people are sharing a meal, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry. They will live forever. So there's something about life now and something about eternal life with the bread. But just a few days before, in the middle of a Passover Seder, Jesus takes the unleavened bread and he breaks it in half. And then he shares it with his disciples. He says, this is my body broken for you. And that add on top of that, the next image of the cup, the wine that's poured out. As T.D. Jake says, he was broken and poured out. He says it in a much more manly voice than mine. Still praying for that. Broken and poured out. So he just interprets the scriptures. He helps them understand their own pain. He breaks the bread. Now they see. All along, you were meant to stand in my place. All along, God was going to send you to a cross and a grave. To take on yourself our very worst and in return give us your very best. You took our death, you give us a new life. Their eyes are open. There are a lot of people today that have a hard time with Jesus. They think he's, he's interesting, he's a good teacher. But until you see him as your savior, you will not really see him. Because to see him as a savior says that we need saved. That there's something in my life that I need rescued from. And this is hard for many of us because we're competent. I know you guys, you're, you have amazing degrees. You're fit. You're very good looking. You, you invent things. You uh, start businesses. You're very competent. And we live in a world that we've been given tremendous power. We have tremendous wealth, which is, which is power. Allows us to control our lives. So it's hard to get to the place where we say, I need help. But one of the things COVID did that's a favor to all of us is it reminded us that we are not in control of our lives. And it exposed the cracks. Our depression increased, our anxiety increased, our anger increased. Our hate towards our brothers and sisters increased. I think we're aware that there are things inside that we don't want to be there. We need a savior. And so this becomes the entry into this amazing relationship when we actually say, all right, I need some help. I need a rescue. When the couple realize that, they see him. Now, what an amazing gift 
he gave them that day. I wish I could have been there. It'd be a whole lot easier to have faith if I would have experienced the resurrection. As Eugene Peterson says, he says this, he says, it is not easy to convey a sense of wonder, let alone resurrection wonder, to another. It's the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions. Wonder can't be packaged. It can't be worked up. It requires some sense of having been there and some sense of engagement. All right, so we can't be there. But listen, we can experience it today. Because that Sunday morning, Feast of First Fruits, the first Easter Sunday, his lungs inflated. He began to breathe again. And blood pumped from his heart and his body warmed up. And he opened his eyes. And he stood up. And he took off the burial clothes. And he walked out. And ever since that day, he's been doing for people like us what he did for this couple. He quickens his step. He catches up to us on the road of life. He makes sense of our life, makes sense of our suffering, and he lets us encounter the Savior. And if we have ears to hear and eyes to see and we quiet our heart, you will see a God that draws close to you every day. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, it's good for me to leave. I can only be on one road at a time, but the spirit of God, my spirit can be in all places. He will come with a gentle whisper. Don't wait for signs written on the wall. Sometimes he comes with a loud voice, but don't wait for it. He comes with a gentle whisper, usually on the roads of disappointment. It's where he does his best work. All right, worship team, you guys can come out. I want to end with this. So these changes occur for this couple, but their life now is actually radically changed. I love the image of they're moving in one direction, a road of despair. They have an encounter with Jesus. They head back to Jerusalem with the message that it's true. He has risen. And we don't know a lot else about this couple, but we can uh, infer some things from uh, the book of Acts. They were probably a part of that early church that hung around in the city. They were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then they began to do amazing things in Jesus' name. Now, remember, a lot of people think that Christianity grew because it was a powerful religion. It wasn't at this time. They were trying to kill all the Jesus followers for 300 years. These early Jewish believers had no cultural power, but you know what they had? They had the spirit of God and they were convinced because they saw the risen Jesus and they went out and they began to live their life with self-giving love towards their neighbor in a way that shocked people. We've shared these stories before, but during the plagues of the ancient world, those first 200 years, the Christians stayed in the city to care for the sick. The Christians stayed in the city and nursed the babies that people wanted to get rid of that at the time were thrown over walls. But they kept this fierce loyalty in this message that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has died for us and he's risen again. Risen again. That is how we know that he's Lord. Give your life to him. They had that message. They shared it over and over again. I think that couple was a part of that. Here's the message that comes with Jesus when you experience the resurrection. He says, now join me. Paul said the world is full of new creation. You're a part of it. We get to build it. We get to be a part of the renewal of all things. We get to be a part of where there's destruction and death bringing life. Where there's chaos to bring order. Where there's hopelessness to bring hope. 
And listen, it is not empty because the grave is empty. As Paul said, it is not done in vain. Your good deeds, every one of them counts in the kingdom. He puts it all together and makes it work. So the invitation today is not just to encounter the risen Jesus. The invitation is to join him in his resurrection right now. One last story. So as I mentioned earlier, just a half mile from here, 13 days ago, 10 people lost their life. It's hard to imagine that there's more of God's resurrection in this world when something like that happens. It's hard to imagine that new creation is is breaking out when something like that happens. So full of darkness and confusion. But I know that day in that King Supers, there was resurrection power in there. So last week we told you about a couple young men who are part of this church who actually saved lives during the shooting. One went back in, one hid a coworker. Self-giving love, that's resurrection power. You know, on Tuesday, we celebrated resurrection power with Officer Telly. I was in East County. I saw his procession, hundreds of police cars and fire trucks from different states. I think every precinct in Colorado sent a car to be a part of the parade. My little town in Monta Vista had a car here. Very proud. Cars from Florida, Montana, South Dakota. All to pay tribute to his life. A lot of people don't know that Officer Talley is a Christian or was a Christian. Which means at some point in his life, he had made a commitment to Jesus. At some point in his life, he said, you know what? I'm going to let God make sense of my life. I'm going to let God transform my suffering and my weakness. And he had encounters with Jesus and joined him in the work of resurrection. You don't have to know where it comes from to live out the resurrection. But he did. So when he ran into that King Supers, what we know is that no one else died after he got there. So his sacrifice, his courage, his self-giving love, all things that Jesus displayed on the cross and in the grave were there in that King Supers. But here's the thing I can't get away from. At the core of the gospel and the message of Jesus is forgiveness. He had experienced great grace from God many years ago. Maybe even that morning as he's spending time with the Lord. And once again, he's basking in God's forgiveness and grace. He had experienced great grace. Do you think it's possible that in his last breath, he forgave the shooter? I don't think it's possible. I think it's likely. And someday... That goes on the list of the questions I want to ask God or those that have gone before us. The Lord is filling the world with new creation. Will we join him into new life? That officer had known the risen Jesus for many years, but that day he had joined him in the resurrection. All right, let's go to the quiet place of prayer. I want to just give you a chance to respond to God as you'd like. So two invitations as we close. 
The first is if you're a person that has never joined yourself to Jesus. Maybe God's been speaking to you this year. Maybe he's been getting your attention. Maybe even right now he's speaking to you and getting your attention. Just simply say yes to him. He is all the things he said he was. The son of God. The perfect sacrificial lamb. The first from the grave. All of those things are true and he is your savior. Scriptures say if we confess our sin to him, he forgives. Let him open your eyes. And here's the second invitation for all of us. We live in a chaotic, dark, broken world. But there is power and life and light and hope in that empty grave. We are caught up in it. Will you live the resurrection? Where God has you, will you bring those things? Father, may it be true. Say yes and amen to that. Thank you for your invitation. We marvel at the resurrection. We're grateful that we can experience you now, God, and we say, yes, we will join you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's stand together.